politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house for Tuesday, September 29th, although it does feel like a Monday. It's our first day together this week. I do apologize for being out. It was Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. And the funny thing is, I am really tired because I had to drive through the night to go out of state to go and worship God. I'm not kidding you. This is what it's come down to. You see, our founders embarked on a battle for independence over civil and religious liberty because they were dealing with a king who at the time had the mightiest army. The mightiest army through which they would mete out their tyranny. Today we are suffering from the tyranny of a test. A freaking thing shoved up your nose. It is unbelievable the chaos that is being caused by this. So they're now shutting down churches, synagogues, schools, colleges. Because one person gets the sniffles, you know, with the weather changing this time of year. And I say that literally, I don't mean even a flu. This was like a flu earlier this year. Now it's like a like a cold. And then they're like, hey, let's test everyone. And then they go find a bunch of people without symptoms and they say they're positive. Are they really positive? We are locking ourselves down because of nothing but a freaking swab. So where do we begin today? So anyway, I um, you know. We, we created basically a tent service to just run away from all this stupid tyranny. And at least we don't have to have a diaper on our face when we're outdoors. But then it just got so hot and humid just for a couple of days. Now it's going to get cold again. So I couldn't deal with that, you know, because it's just a full day of prayer and fasting for us. So there's nothing like doing that in the outdoor humidity. So I had to go out of state to go and find a place that's quietly adhering to sanity just to go to services. I was teaching my son in our homeschooling, and I'm so thankful to those of you who helped me work out a curriculum, uh, your encouragement, your prayers, your thoughts that a lot of you have emailed me. And by the way, you could always email me, dharowitz at blazemedia.com. So I was teaching my fifth grader about the early American history, we're, we're talking about the colonial time, and we're going through just a basic cursory overview of how each colony was founded. And uh, last week we did Pennsylvania. And what's amazing to me is just going back to that statement that Sam Adams made August 1st, 1776, just a couple weeks after he signed the declaration himself, he knew they were headed into a very uphill battle against the British military conflict. And he gave a speech in front of the Pennsylvania legislature in Philadelphia. And he basically framed the battle as one over whether, and I'm paraphrasing here, I don't have the quote in front of me right now, but it's not 
just a contest over whether we ourselves shall be free, but over whether there will be one remaining place on earth as an asylum for civil and religious liberty. And I look as I was sneaking out of Maryland to go and worship God. There's an article out on Friday that a Maryland man was sentenced to a year in prison for hosting two parties in defiance of the state order on gatherings. He had 50 to 60 people at his home in Charles County, Maryland. A year in prison. Folks, my neighborhood where I live just outside of Baltimore, there are endless carjackings, burglaries, and they're all done by either young adults or teenagers, but because they are black and because it's Maryland, and I will just say it like it is, they do not serve a day in jail, much less prison, despite having multiple felonies within the period of a few months. This is the Sodom and Gomorrah that we are confronted with, where the only crime left is not wearing a diaper or gathering for either a party or a religious service. This is the sick country we live in, and all because of the tyranny of a test. We're obviously going to have analysis of the debate tomorrow, after tonight's debate. But everyone's going to be focused on the theatrics, whether Biden has dementia or not. But I want the president to lay out a vision against what is going on, and to actually give us confidence that come November, this will change if he wins a second term. You have Scott Atlas, friend of mine. He got his debut really on our network, on on Blaze Media. Then he started appearing on Fox, and the president took notice of him and hired him as his coronavirus advisor. But every day you got Redfield and Fauci. Fauci is more of a devious guy. Redfield is just kind of like a janitor. Um, he just doesn't know anything. Out there shadow boxing Atlas every second. And I'm thinking like, who is president? Why are there constantly two voices under this administration? It's got to stop. Mr. President, it's time for MAGA without Jivanka. Okay? It's time to speak with one voice on this issue. And that's what I want to hear tonight, and we'll see. But for now, we really are fighting over whether we will have an asylum for religious and civil liberty. There's almost nowhere to go. Maybe if we have time, we'll talk about the Florida governor, some of the things he's doing. Maybe I'll move there, I don't know. But this is utterly insane. But there are two sets of rules in this country. If you're a criminal, you could do whatever you want. If you're of a certain protected class, you could do the most heinous things and get away with it. But if you are just an everyday American citizen and you don't check any particular box of protection, you cannot breathe free air without your very existence being criminalized over a test, over a test that is bullcrap from head to toe. And with that, I want to go on to my article today 
speaking of felons, the National Felon League, otherwise known as the NFL, I want to first give the credit for this story, for breaking this story, because it happened over a month ago, but he's the first I'm seeing to report it. My former colleague, Jordan Schachtel, he's now he's gone freelance now, but he was obviously with us from day one, terrific investigative journalist. And he put out on Twitter late late in the middle of the night, and I just wrote an article on it because I wanted to augment his voice, of course, giving him credit, that he discovered an interview from a month ago with the chief medical examiner, Dr. Alan Sills, of the NFL. And what's interesting, what we're seeing... And I've said this all along, whether it's with the shutdowns, whether it's with the mask wearing, and whether it's with this insane asymptomatic testing business. They will follow the real science when it actually matters. Science for me, but not for thee. So basically, we always knew there were a bunch of false positives. Okay, we always knew that. But then... On, I believe it was August 29th or August 31st, the New York Times published a bombshell report, I give them credit for once, showing that in many states, as many as 90% of the positives were, maybe, maybe they have the virus there, but it is on such a trace level that it is a virus in all but name only. It doesn't affect them at all, and it cannot infect anyone else. Okay? And basically, the crux behind the article was that in order to see these pathogens, they always have to amplify the virus in order for it to even register, assuming it's there. But what the labs were doing in in most places in, in the United States was amplifying it, what's called 40 CTs, 40 cycle thresholds. They would run it through the machine. And that basically most studies have shown that anything beyond, in other words, if you need to blow it up beyond 24 CTs, at most 30, it's bogus. It's essentially a false positive. It's essentially, if you would do a PCR-style test of everyone for numerous other pathogens, you would find them in some superficial way. And, and, And the sick irony, as we mentioned last week, What you're often picking up is God's natural immunological ecosystem, his natural vaccines. It's literally like giving someone a vaccine and then testing them and then discovering the the presence of the vaccine and then using that as pretext to panic, crush people's liberties, lock them down, put them in prison, ban them from going anywhere, shut down schools, shut down workplaces, shut down churches. And it turns out it was all bogus. Well, Jordan sent me this interview. It was actually really a conference call with the media done by the NFL on the 24th of August. So this was before most people, and and to be fair, some of the group of rational COVID folks that I've been with actually were talking about CTs before it was cool. But the point is nobody knew about this. And the chief medical examiner actually said, he just discovered this, August 24th, 
This is one of the most important stories of the day. He said the following. He was talking about all the things that they're doing. And if you notice that the NFL is not being shut down. Now, how in the world is not spreading the way it's spreading in colleges? Well, there's a very simple answer to that. Quote, this is, this is this guy, Dr. Alan Sills, talking. The other thing that we look at is we want to look at low positives. So he talked about false positives, they, they talked about low positives. <clears throat> We're looking at something called a cycle threshold, <clears throat> and that is how many times the amplification process has to go through before it becomes positive. If we see a lot of patients that are testing positive with high cycle threshold, then that's also a red flag to stop and actually go back and look at our run. And then the other thing that we do, this is everything, we take swabs of our hood on a fairly frequent basis. I think he means like the lab hood, just like the, you know, the lab materials um, and actually just swab all of them around our hood several times in different places and actually test those. Of course, that should be negative. Meaning because if your thing is contaminated, then maybe it's coming from there. So in other words, the point he is making is, unlike us rubes, us little peasants, you get one positive test. You don't get to ask how many CTs you used. You don't get to peer into that. You don't get to um, look at demand more tests. You are an infected piece of garbage and you are treated like garbage. And you have your liberties stripped from you. And it's counted against counties or institutions by state governments in terms of living their lives, liberty, property. And guess what? It turns out these people are asymptomatic and they really don't have anything. But the NFL, I have heard, see, it doesn't say that in the interview. But I've heard from a source, and I'm trying to get it, that they it's, it's more than that. They actually set their own policy, and they have a certain CT level. I don't know what it is, if it's 20, 25, 30, whatever. But they get to do what they want, because they're powerful, they have the resources, they have the money. No one's going to mess with them. And they say, this is what we're doing. And, and by the way, CNN reported this a month ago. It went little noticed. That an initial positive test at the NFL will continue to be followed by two more tests. They could be cleared on the same day if those tests result immediately, come back negative. Just like we saw with some of these governors. But you and I, we don't get that chance. So isn't it interesting how when it comes to the favored protected National Felon League, I guess because they don't believe in the National Anthem, so that gives, gives them a leg up on us in this new dystopian country. Guess what? They follow the real science. And that's why they don't have a so-called outbreak. Because we have an outbreak of tyranny from testing. From bogus BS crap tests. It's truly unbelievable. Yet our children, school children, college kids... They don't get that degree of scientific acumen and compassion and due process. They get shut down. They get locked in their dorms. They get banned from attending anything based on a test. I mean, folks, even if the virus is down to zero, this could go on forever mathematically. This could go on forever. 
Do you understand based on these tests, you have pregnant women innocently coming in, they're going into labor, they're coming in to give birth. Mind you, a lot of hospitals, they are making them wear a mask while pushing the baby out. Sick, sick puppies. Mind you, all of the um, <clears throat> personnel, is they're wearing 50 masks and, you know, um, shields and everything. So I thought they work. If they work, why, why does she have to wear it? But I digress. They test her automatically. She could have zero symptoms. If they find she's positive, they take the freaking baby away from her. Okay? This is the country we are living in today. But if you're in the NFL, well, you got to play ball, right? So we got to follow the real science. And as I noted, you know what else that matters? Isn't it funny how false asymptomatic PCR tests are the threshold to create a pandemic. But it's not the threshold for the panacea, the vaccine. See, I mentioned this last week. <clears throat> if you test, well, let me say this. If you want to test the efficacy of a virus, uh, I'm sorry, of a vaccine, so in terms of the clinical trials, what's called the primary efficiency endpoint, that stage of it, that's governed very and regulated very heavily by the FDA. Well, how do you know someone has it? You have to know someone has it, and then you give them, you know, you 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 test the vaccine against it, right? You have to, you know, you have to make sure they got it. Well, guess what? M Moderna, in their vaccine trial, I put it out in my article. You could see it. It's page one thirty one of their. Very, very long deck that they have explaining the process. To be considered a case of COVID-19 for the evaluation of the primary efficacy endpoint, two criteria must be met. The participant must have experienced at least two of the following symptoms, and they list them, and the participant must have had at least one NP swab, nasal swab, or saliva sample, yada, yada, for SARS-CoV-2 by RT-PCR. Isn't it interesting how when it actually matters, they go with the real science. But when it comes to infringing upon the liberties of our life, guess what? They could do whatever they want. They could do whatever they want to us. And there's nothing we can do in return. It's time to fight back. It's time for the president to speak with one voice and give voice to us. This is why you're having all these schools and colleges that um, they have all these cases. But you find interesting things. You find the whole class is never infected. It's a few here and there. Especially, I'm not talking about college where they could spread it, but young kids, it's clear, clearly proof that they're not spreading it. They're getting it from home, and it's just you notice it because of the school's strict policies. You know, there's new research out that actually goes through this. A research study from Germany 
that demonstrates what I'm talking about, how most um, most of the out, so-called outbreaks, in the, especially in the younger schools, there are a few here and there, and it's clear it was not spread from the school. It had nothing to do with the school. They would have tested positive if they were at home. It's just that there's no impetus for doing it at home. It's a very interesting thing here. The study out of Germany, they say most school outbreaks, quote, had few cases per outbreak with more cases among older age groups who could have been staff or other persons epidemiologically linked to school outbreaks. But even in the colleges, how many hospitalizations are we seeing? How many deaths are we seeing? You know, I went, I dormed in a private high school. I went and uh, I was in Philadelphia for high school. And I will tell you, I never got as sick as I did, you know, during my dorm years. I used, I, I one time had this horrible sore throat. Like it wasn't a strep. It was like my, my, my entire, th- ton- I don't know if it's tonsils or whatever those things are down there were so swollen. They had to give me um, a steroid just to get it down aside from antibiotics. I've, I've never gotten such a bad sore throat in my life. And I got fever more often. We live with it. What these college kids are getting is literally, by a factor of 10, more mild than what typically goes around a dorm. During the winter, during a time of an abrupt change in weather. You know, all those things that God challenges us with that we have no way of affecting. So that's with that. Um, there is a lot more on the virus I wanted to get to. I want to talk about the courts too. Um, my gosh, where do we even start? Oh, and by the way, just just in case you haven't seen it, this is the Washington Post. Feared coronavirus outbreaks in schools yet to arrive. Early data shows. Thousands of students and teachers have become sick. Now they use the word sick just to mean test positive. With the coronavirus uh, since schools began, but public health experts have found little evidence that the virus is spreading inside the buildings and the rates of infection are far below what is found in surrounding communities. So there you go. I, I noted this before. Like, because of the institution policies, they test like a bunch of animals. So like, oh, there, there's 20 cases in this school of 500 people and faculty. But if you take any population anywhere of 500 people, you'll get 20 testing positive so you put them together you'll discover it but who says it was spread because of the opening of the school and then of course obviously none of them are getting meaningfully sick from it the sickness is a mental illness which brings me to another um interesting thing about Excess deaths. How many people died straight up of COVID? How many people had their lives cut significantly short from COVID? There undoubtedly have been people. Like there are people with their lives cut short from tragic car accidents. But it is a fraction of the number that is being reported. Either they're bogus, again, because if you have a bogus test... It's not just a shutdown, you know, your school is shut down. It's that if you wind up dying later on because of any reason, you died of COVID. So remember we talked a lot about Sweden and how Sweden 
they have a good result given what they did and they don't have any of the collateral damage, but even the deaths that they have are way inflated. Because if you look at excess deaths, Sweden has very little. So a new study came out of Sweden and they found that only 25% of their reported deaths had COVID as the dominating cause of death. And again, that's why you're not seeing any excess deaths there. And then, like I said, there's the other theory too that's called the dry tinder theory that, you know, um, a lot of the people that did die or most of the people that did die clearly from COVID, like, you know, if you would do a lung x-ray, they clearly, that that's what killed them. It was the people at the end of their life that typically die from that type of stuff. And the dry tinder theory basically is that you're going to have more deaths if you had one to two previous mild flu seasons because you just, you know, it, it, it ebbs and flows. So over the window, over a course of a three-year window, you don't really see excess deaths, which is why, as I said, everywhere where you see COVID dominating, you don't see the flu. The flu literally did not exist. It's funny, Kyle Lem actually sent me today that the only place in the Southern Hemisphere they see the flu is Cambodia, and they barely have any COVID there. So, meaning, part of why you don't have excess deaths is also because, you know, A, a lot of it's BS, a lot of them are going to die within a few months, and even the ones that die directly of it, it's essentially this year's flu deaths, but you're not getting the flu because the virus boxes it out, or, or, or meaning it boxes it out epidemiologically, or, and also, even if some people get the flu, but the type of people who would die from the flu wound up dying of COVID. So, you know, I mean, you got to look at a broad window. So there's a lot of news on that, on those excess deaths I wanted to get to today. But I have an article that I'm going to put out on Tennessee, and I, I teased this out last week. Thanks to our buddies at Nashville for Rational COVID Policy, Josh Stevenson, and we got Malkus, you know, we had him on the show the other week. And what they did is they took CDC data on excess deaths. Now, what they did is they smartly pegged it through the end of August, right? Because there's a few week lag in their reporting of excess deaths. So you don't want to do it until now because they do backfill them. And you look at a trend line. Now, you see a little bit of an upward trend line, but there's always an upward trend line. Every year we have more deaths, more all-cause deaths. And that's just because of population growth, mainly. And they broke it down by age cohort. And what they found is something fascinating. If you, if you look at the baseline, so like every year, let's say there were 250 more deaths than the previous year in a given age group, you look at people over the age of 85. Now, you'd expect there to really see a massacre, right? But we were suggesting that who says they really died of COVID? Maybe they died of old age. And they just tested positive. Or they maybe died of COVID, but it was essentially the angel of death tool that he used instead of what he typically uses that year. And they would have died at the same time anyway. Well, how do you vet that out? You vet that out by looking at the trend line of all-cause deaths per age cohort. 
And what they found, you look at those over 85, mind you, I don't have eight over 85, but I have over 81 accounted for 31% of the reported COVID deaths in Tennessee. And what you'll find is essentially like 320 or something more deaths, which is essentially in line with the trend. You could say it's slightly higher. There's only one age group where you find significant excess deaths, a big percentage bump among 25 to 44-year-olds. Well, Daniel, was there a big epidemic of 25 to 44-year-olds dying of, of COVID? No. There were almost 700 excess deaths, but there are only 100 reported COVID deaths for that age group. And mind you, they all died of you know motorcycle accidents and things like that. Most of them were BS. So it can't account for that. You know what it is? It's the drug overdoses. Drug overdoses just in Nashville. I don't have state data, but for the first six months of the year, we're up 42%. Because of the social isolation, the panic, this is what we are doing to our younger people to save grandma when ironically, there really aren't excess deaths in most states. I did Tennessee, but you could really pull this out of most states. Some states have a little bit of an excess death, but it's nothing, nothing of the epidemic proportions that have been sold to the public. This is going to be a big scandal, and I am telling you, if you if, and you're going to see this in the coming year or two, you look at a window, you will not even notice it outside of New York City and maybe some of its surrounding areas. I'm not even saying any, I'm saying any magnitude, much less like, something that would warrant this degree of panic. You could have a little bit of an epidemic like 1957, 1968, but nothing like this. Meanwhile, according to the Tennessee Department of Education, there's a projected 50% decrease in proficiency rates in third grade reading, 65% decrease in third grade math skills. All because of a lie. And by the way, they broke down excess deaths. So the the drug overdoses were like from 25 to 44. You look at all-cause deaths for under 25, it's actually slightly less than last year. There are literally no excess deaths for under 25 in Tennessee. And again, this is just the state I studied because of these guys had a great PowerPoint on it. You could do it for many, many other states. Um, The overwhelming majority of states, that is true. I mean, really, all of the states that's true with under 25, I'm talking about really almost everyone, there are no COVID excess deaths. You have lockdown deaths. So we actually killed more people from our response. Oh, and by the way, they, what they also did is they studied, so there, there's no statewide mask mandate. But because the governor is a rhino, he allowed the counties to go and do their thing. So they looked at 21 counties that didn't have a mask policy and, and 17 that mandated it. And on every level, positivity rate, hospitalizations, and deaths, adjusted for population, by the way, the mass counties did worse. Again, I'm not saying it's causation. I'm not saying it proves that necessarily, um, you know, the incessant universal wearing of masks that are reused spread the virus more. It might. I'm not saying this proves it, but it certainly shows it doesn't help in stopping it. And that's where we are. All because of a lie. We have an epidemic that is measured in false testing. That's all it is.
truly, truly disgusting. Now, in our remaining time, I want to change gears a little bit, but I also want to continue along this theme from a legal constitutional standpoint of what we're doing. And again, why this ties back into the Supreme Court and why it's so important that if the courts are going to be the final arbiter for creating phony rights, then we better make sure that when we're picking judges that we get the real rights upheld. Now, we had a very deep dive on our last program on Friday before the nominee was chosen. We knew it was going to be Amy Barrett, but now it's official. And if you've noticed, you know, they have these phony like attacks on her religion, but it's it's kind of muted. And again, like I said, she really from a political standpoint, and I think jurisprudentially she's pretty good, too. But from a political standpoint, it was a, it was a terrific pick. And it's very hard for them to effectively militate against her nomination. But they have a plan. And it ties back into a news story I want to share with you. I'm going to tie this all together. So both the COVID fascism, phony rights, and the future of the judiciary. So I believe this was late Friday or was it Sunday? I can't remember. District Judge Marina Garcia Marmolejo um, of Texas grants a temporary injunction on Texas's straight ticket voting law. Okay? Some states, they have what's called a straight ticket voting uh, mechanism, where basically, if it's machine voting, you can just click a button and render all of the choices down ballot one party, Republican or Democrat or whatever. And you just come in, you're straight ticket voting. And some states had it, but then got rid of it. Because, you know, it's 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 stupid. I mean, I, I think it's a smart policy to have in place. It's well within the powers of a state to say, no, we're not going to offer, we're not going to avail you to that option. And the reason you wouldn't is just very simple. I'm a big fan of it. Have people think for three seconds, okay? If you want to vote straight ticket, so vote straight ticket Republican, straight ticket Democrat. But this gets people to actually think about the offices and candidates, at least for a fleeting second. But the left wants mind-numb robots. See, it's funny how we don't mind it. You would think, well, it should be an even thing. Well, we want it for our people that vote straight Republican, right? I mean, I'm not a Republican, but I'm an independent. But, you know, for people who are... But no, basically they want mind-numb robots to go in and automatically check the Democrat box, even though they might find, hey, you know, I heard of this candidate, he sounds good. And the judge said, so the judge put an injunction, meaning says a state has to offer an option for that. Now, like I told you before, a court, even if you hold a judicial review, it could only be a shield, not a sword. They can't mandate an executive branch do stuff. I mean, they could advise it, but ultimately that's up to the executive. It's a shield. In other words, if the executive takes a positive action against an individual plaintiff um, to to, to find the person, to imprison the person, a court could say, I'm going to vacate that, you know, um, punishment, vacate the conviction. But a court can't say, I'm going to give you relief by mandating a policy of straight ticket voting options. 
And they note that it's going to create lines at the polls. Can you, can you imagine that? It's going to create lines not to offer straight ticket voting, and it's going to expose people to COVID. This is the law. I mean, it's unbelievable. So COVID is being used as a pretext to infringe upon real-life liberty and property while at the same time concocting bogus rights for convicted criminals to be let go out of prison and bogus rights. I have the right to avail myself to a certain mechanism of voting. You have a fundamental right to a straight-ticket voting box. That's now a fundamental right. And meanwhile, as I noted last week, what's funny is they're treating voting, even in its most insane specificity, as a fundamental right, but I don't have a right to go and vote without covering my face with a diaper. Truly sick times. So that's the COVID aspect of it, but I wanted to demonstrate something. Notice this is a district judge. Notice it's even in Texas. Now look, Texas does have the Fifth Circuit overseeing that at an an appellate level. And typically, they've gotten better, and you would hope they overturn that. But what I've noted before is, this is where the left is headed. They're going to just simply delegitimize the Supreme Court, but not delegitimize judicial supremacism wholesale. I think we should help them do that. But what they're going to do if Republicans don't fight back, which they never do, of course, they're going to go and have the lower courts just give them a ruling at any given time. And even if it gets overturned, they'll come back to another one and start again. They'll just delegitimize the appellate level rulings. Well, Daniel, then we won't listen to them. Well, they shouldn't, but they will. You see, they're going to delegitimize the rulings they don't like out of the Supreme Court. While Republicans will then play the game with them and abide by their insane lower court rulings. I wrote an article on Friday, a very detailed article. You know, because I'm, I'm always like, I don't know, I give a lot of bad news. So I wanted, I wanted to sort of write something a little bit more positive without lying to you just to write something positive. And it is true. I do believe that we are we likely will have five votes, at least on the gun issue. We had, what's his name, um, Josh Hammer on the show, who also said he believes affirmative action might, we might have five votes for that to get rid of some of the affirmative action. We'll see. But on guns, we we should have five votes. Right to carry the so-called magazine capacity bans. And I do think we're going to get those rulings. But you know what the Democrats are going to do with that? Everything you and I wanted to do on election law, on marriage, on abortion, on immigration law, everything we always said the various executive branches, whether it's at a federal or state level, can and should do as Lincoln talked about, decompartmentalism instead of judicial supremacism, guess what? They're going to do it with guns. They're going to say, thank you very much for your ruling. But we feel, you know, these guns or magazines or right to carry are um, are a public safety threat. So, well, Judge, you don't hand out concealed carry permits. We do. And we're just going to choose to limit them to certain circumstances, which they'll make almost nothing. That's what they'll do. 
I'm just telling you, if we get a national right to carry type of ruling in the Supreme Court, which which is possible, the red states already allow it. So it's the blue states. The blue states will say, screw screw you. We're not doing it. Exactly like I said with the ruling. Like, I think um, everyone is entitled to 30 days of early voting. Oh, no, actually, it's 60. And ballot harvesting. And everyone has a right to bring 10 people to the polls and help them vote. And they have the right to basically have the election judge just give them the Democrat ticket. And it's in the Constitution. Well, does a judge run the electoral process? No. But this is what's going to happen. Watch for the left, because they're already doing it, to continuously delegitimize the few good opinions we get from the Supreme Court when it limits some of the things that blue states are able to do. But at the same time, they're going to continue to use the lower courts to go after things they don't like in the red states. And those governors, and even at a federal level, will be like, okay, I guess we can do it. This is why, unless we fight back on their playing field and delegitimize judicial supremacism entirely, I don't care about the Supreme Court nominations. Heck, Breyer is very old. Let's say he retires. And Trump gets another pick. You know what they'll just do? They'll just say, okay, this this is an illegitimate court. And everything we should have said until now, they'll say. Now I'll be like, okay, so that's great. We'll just end judicial supremacism. No, 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 no. The left isn't stupid. They'll have it both ways. They'll have a lower court judge of their choice decide any question they want decided. Well, Daniel, come on. That's crazy. You delegitimize the Supreme Court, but say a lower court judge rules. Republicans aren't going to listen to that. Well, actually, they probably will because they still do. So I just want to share with you that observation that we literally have COVID as a way of remaking our country because that is really what a liberal is. It's fundamental rights contorted. What is a legitimate right? What is a foundational right of the founding of this country? What is a natural God-given right based on natural law, based on the social compact? It's crushed. What's antithetical to a right or just some silly, frivolous BS entitlement or desire, policy desire, is now enshrined as a right. Victims are criminals. Criminals are victims. You hold a party, you hold church services in a way they don't like, you get arrested. You don't wear a diaper, you could get arrested, certainly fined. But you could walk around the streets knock people out, steal their cars, burglarize their homes, accrue five of these felonies within six months, you won't serve a day in jail. And the reason is because we don't fight back. Because we're so caught up in tonight and the theatrics of the debate, oh, just vote Republican, oh, just just, just uh, have a Supreme Court nominee. There is no shortcut to getting active and vocal on a local level, both in the private institutions such as churches and schools, to make sure that we fight back at a, at a communal level, and then at a local government level, get in their faces louder than the other side is. 
It's not just vote for one president, one Supreme Court justice. It doesn't help. But that's where our entire focus is. So yeah, we're going to continue having civic activism shows as well. Talk about how we could fight back at, at, at a local level. But remember, as I, as I noted on our show last week, we have people being arrested for holding outdoor church services. We have people being handcuffed and tasered for not wearing a mask outdoors at a middle school football game in red states, often in red counties within red states with a Republican president. So don't tell me, oh, we, we, we have to make sure Biden doesn't win. I mean, I agree. I don't want him to win. But I'm just saying that is a small fraction of what matters. What's even more important than Trump winning is that he, in the process, he gives us a voice. He gives a voice to our cause so that it will pressure Republicans, at least in red states, to start following suit, doing what DeSantis does, what Christy Noem does, very few of them. Because remember, the difference between a DeSantis and a Christy Noem and a run-of-the-mill Republican is a wider gap than what exists between a typical Republican and a Democrat. Because frankly, they're one of the same. But that requires the president to speak consistently and with one voice. Will that begin tonight? Well, we'll find out. Tomorrow we'll be back here, same time, same place with our analysis. Again, you can follow our Facebook fan page, Herwitz Citizen Sanctuary, as well as Miniman Speak Easy. That's our private page for those of you who don't want to be public. And I understand why not. Email me, dherwitz at blazemedia.com. Tweet me at rmconservative. Till tomorrow, stay safe and fight back. <laughs>